And that is our prayer. Holy Spirit, that you would come. You've already come into this world as promised. You've already given birth to the church. Now we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come in renewed power in our midst, that there would be an overwhelming sense of the goodness of God that you reveal through conviction. We trust you to do that. And so now, Holy Spirit, would you empower me to preach your word, the word you inspired. So let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing your sight. In the name of Jesus, my Lord, my rock, my savior. It's in his name I pray, amen. Well, friends, I cannot tell you how glad I am to be preaching. First of all, on Sunday morning, uh, we've been pre-recording these messages, uh, typically on Wednesday afternoon, and so I am tickled to get to preach to a handful of people, at least during this service, and certainly more in the next service. Thank you all who are volunteering to serve. Thank you for stepping out and and coming and and helping us uh, during this time, and we're anticipating God doing a great work in in this service and the service that will be coming at 11 o'clock. Now, we are beginning this two-part series, uh, See the Holy Spirit Do His Thing. And this is a part of our whole series for the year, which is come see what God can do. We know that God has the power to take what is dead and bring it to life. God has the power to heal what is broken and make it whole. He has the power to, to bring new life so that we can be born again. He takes people who were far from him and he draws them near and changes everything about their life for his glory. And those of us who've experienced that, we have the joy and privilege of sharing our story in the midst of God's story. God's story, of course, is the Bible, creation, fall, rescue, restoration. And in the midst of that, those of us who have repented and believed that gospel, we can pursue and recover God's design and know so much of the goodness of God and tell others about the goodness of God. And so our membership, our goal is to impact our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. That, that's what we're about. And we're asking everyone to come see what God can do when that gospel is released, when there is the hope of that salvation. And it does impact homes. It does impact neighbors. It does impact every generation when we speak of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Because of what he has done, we are made right with God. And because of who he promised would come, the Holy Spirit, we now have this renewal. We have the strength. We have this hope. And so that's why we're beginning this series as uh, we prepare for next week being Pentecost, the celebration of the coming of the Holy Spirit. We want to remember that the Holy Spirit is not the cousinette of the Trinity. Uh, The Holy Spirit is a he. He is a person. And we're going to talk about what that means a little bit this morning. He has come as promised. Now, We understand, we get it, I get it. There are certain mysteries that are associated with the Holy Spirit and who he is and what he's done and what he's doing. But there are certain things that scripture has made very clear that we can know for certain, that we can understand so that we can experience God, the God of the Bible, who he is in all of his glory. And that's what we're gonna seek to do today is to understand the uniqueness of the Holy Spirit, to really lean into who he is. Today we're going to look at what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus had to say is crucial. Uh, The section we're going to look at uh, falls inside of John chapter 13 through 17. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, hopefully you're already turned there. 
Uh, but if you've not yet gotten there, go ahead and take out your Bibles. And I want to encourage you to do something. We're just going to be looking at John 15 uh, verses, uh, what is it, 25 and tw- 26 and 27. But I want to encourage you today to, in one sitting, read all of John 13 through 17. That is a single discourse. It's known as the upper room discourse. This is the last conversation that Jesus had with his disciples before he went to die for our sin. Remember, Jesus is one day away from dying. He's one day away from being our propitiation. He is one day away from being put in that borrowed tomb. Think about if you were Jesus. What would you want to say to your your followers, to the apostles, to those who would be responsible for being the bedrock of this movement that would become the church? Jesus had a lot to say. And what you'll find in John 13 through 17 is some of the most compelling theology in all of the Bible. Let me encourage you to take time today and read through that entire section, understanding it is is just one discourse, one discussion. Jesus, he is providing and establishing a firm foundation for all of the faithful. Our, Our text, though, it is a message from Jesus to specifically the apostles. Verse 27, uh, Jesus speaks of the fact that you have been with me from the beginning. You know, after Judas's betrayal, the, the apostles knew that there was to be a replacement according to the Psalms. And so in Acts 1.21, we see that in order for Matthias to take Judas's place, he had to have been with Jesus from the beginning. And so this is a mandate of all the apostles. And Jesus is saying, you've been with me from the beginning. And now he's telling them what's about to happen. He's commanding them to be prepared to serve as he has served. And what he's doing is he's preparing them for his death, burial, and resurrection. That frees people from not only the punishment of sin, but the power of sin. Because of what he is promising. Because he's promising that the Holy Spirit is coming. The Holy Spirit not only brings conviction so that we will repent and believe the gospel, but he lives in us, he seals us, and he guides us in his truth that is the word of God so that we can live holy lives, so that we can know God's will and way according to his word. And Jesus is is preparing the apostles so that they can know what, what he, Jesus, is about to do, what the Holy Spirit will do, and then what it is they are going to do. The Holy Spirit is going to come and and the church is going to be launched a new power and, and there is going to be a mission that must be accomplished. And so Jesus is preparing them for this, understanding that they will be the writers of the Bible, of the New Testament, that they will be the ones that, that the, a teaching that the church will gather around, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. And so this moment is crucial. Now, the scriptures we're going to look at today, verse 26 and 27 of John 15, these scriptures speak to two ways the Holy Spirit helps us. If you've got your Bible, and again, I hope that you do, let's go to John 15, 26 and 27, and I'm going to read them. But when the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. The grass withers and the flower falls. The word of the Lord remains forever. And I pray that God will now bless the preaching of this word. Friends, it is crucial that we understand the history of the Holy Spirit, or we may get confused about how we are to experience him now. There are three stages, really, of our understanding of the Holy Spirit according to the word of God. There is the Old Testament, 
there is the, the days of Jesus, and there is post-Pentecost. Now, the Holy Spirit has been revealed in different ways over the years. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon people. The Holy Spirit would, would come upon them, would not always remain. Uh, you think of different characters, but we read about Jephthah, the Holy Spirit came upon him and then moved him to accomplish God's purpose. Now, during the days of Jesus, the Spirit was with them. To be with Jesus was to be with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary. Uh, Jesus being God, he is, he is the Spirit, he, you know, one with the Spirit. And so to be with Jesus was to be with the Holy Spirit. But Jesus here is speaking of the coming of the Holy Spirit in a very different way. And post-Pentecost, the Spirit is now in us. He is with us. He is within us. And it's crucial to understand that the way we experience the Holy Spirit now is from the inside out. Yes, he seals us, but he works in us, convicting us, guiding us. It's crucial that we not only understand the history, but also the provision of the Holy Spirit. Or, or we may get confused about what to expect from him. Uh, understand that the Holy Spirit, first of all, provides the fruit of the Spirit, these are experiences, these are attributes that all believers have. You can read about those in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. And again, these fruits of the Spirit, these are fruits that every believer experiences. These are fruits that are made manifest as we abide in the Spirit, as we're commanded in 1 John. And, and that's what will become the reality of our personhood, of our reality, of who we are. Our, not only our identity, but our actions that come out of that identity. Secondly, there are the benefits of the Spirit. Every believer receives these. These benefits are guidance, enlightenment, working out uh, through his word that he has inspired this morning, as we were praying with the pastors, one of our pastors said uh, that it's been the Holy Spirit that has helped him feel the unity with the body of believers, even though we've been distant. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The, the Holy Spirit binds us together so that we experience the wholeness of who God is. Even though we're distant from one another, the Holy Spirit holds us and sustains us, maintains us in the unity of believers. And this is something that all believers experience, the benefits of the Spirit. And then there are the gifts of the Spirit. And every believer has these, but not all believers have the same gifts. It's very important to understand that that listing in Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that those gifts are available to all believers, but the Holy Spirit gives those according to his will. And it's important to understand that he does have a will because he's a person. It is crucial that we understand the personhood of the Holy Spirit, or we may get confused about how we are to relate to him. We should never speak of the Holy Spirit as it, as some kind of obscure power that, that it does not have personhood. Uh, personhood, when we talk of a person having being a person, we're talking about the capacity for three things. And we know the Holy Spirit is a person who has those three things. He thinks, he wills, and he feels. He thinks. He not only has the thoughts of God, he not only shares the thoughts of God, he guides our thinking and our understanding so that Romans 12, 2 becomes a reality for us. We're renewed in our thinking through the word that is revealed in the power of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit is working in our minds. 
He wills. That means he desires what the Father wants and what is best for us. And so when it comes to the bequeathing of spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit wills them. He knows what is right and best for each one of us and our circumstances and our context, knowing that the, Holy, the, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for us, they're for the church, they're for the world as we serve God in the name of Jesus. And he feels, and, and it's important to understand that we, we can grieve him with our sin and with our apathy. And we need to be very sensitive to the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. He is often grieved. He is grieved by our inconsideration of his presence. We ignore him. We do not obey him. We do not love. And in that apathy, he is grieved. And it's so crucial that we go to him in prayer that we speak to him about the condition of our heart, that we ask him to help us, knowing that we're talking to a person who cares for us, who's working and, and has, a, has a mind and a will to, to do God's work in us, through us, for his glory. Now, Jesus said in our text, and I want you to notice this, that the Holy Spirit is our capital H, helper. The Holy Spirit helps God's people The Holy Spirit helps us, verse 26, but when the helper comes. Now, this word helper is a very important word. It's the word parakletos, and it comes from the the word parakleto, para meaning alongside, kaleo, call, calling alongside of. And what the Holy Spirit does is that he comes alongside of us, and he exhorts us, and he comforts us, and he encourages us. It is properly understood as a verbal adjective referring to an aid of any kind. Now, in Greek writings outside of the New Testament, we see that this word used as a legal advisor, a pleader, a proxy, or advocate, one who comes forward on behalf of another. And this is what Jesus has done. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, the apostle speaks of Jesus being a helper, being an advocate, a paraclete. And what Jesus has done is he has become our advocate. He now pleads our case before the Father in his blood. Having died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin, having been raised on the third day, he now stands before the Father and and is our mediator. And he speaks for us. The Holy Spirit is a paraclete and he is pleading God's case to us. Think about what this means. Jesus has come alongside us to plead our case to the Father. The Holy Spirit has now come, as Jesus said he would, and he is now pleading God's case to us. He is revealing God's will to us, God's word to us, so that we will be convicted. And when we are convicted, that is, that is the Holy Spirit pleading with us, speaking with us, helping us to know God's way so that we can walk in his will. The paraclete, Jesus said, is one of the same kind. Another helper, Allah is another of the same kind, he says. And so what we have in the Holy Spirit is the person of God, just as Jesus is God, just as the Father is God. And the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, is now our helper. And there's two things I would encourage you to take note of this morning as we see in our text today. And the first is this. The Holy Spirit helps us understand who God is. Holy Spirit helps us understand who God 
is. In this passage, something very powerful is being revealed. I'm going to read it, see if you can catch who God is. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit, capital S, of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, about Jesus, about God the Son. What we see in this text is the Trinity. Now, the word Trinity is the word we use to explain the fact that God is one in essence and three in person. He is one God in essence. He is love. He is holy. He is the Almighty. He's all powerful. He is God. That is his essence. That he is three in person, and that's how we understand him. The Athanasian Creed is very helpful to us. Creeds are very helpful because what they do is they systematize and say simply what a great deal of Scripture says. So the, the, creed of, the Athanasian Creed says this. For the person of the Father is a distinct person. The person of the Son is another. And that of the Holy Spirit, still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal. Their majesty co-eternal. Now, each person of the Godhead is referenced here in verse 26. And Jesus, God the Son, is speaking. And as he's speaking, he is speaking of sending the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, who proceeds from God the Father. This helps us understand and gain a powerful understanding of who God is and what the consequences exist because of God being one in essence and three in person. I would ask you to consider this. Understand that because God is one in essence and three in person, God, and this blows my mind, is happily self-sufficient in his being. God does not need anything from anyone else. And this is one of the primary reasons we can trust him. God doesn't need anything for us. He has no reason to manipulate us. There is nothing we can bring to him or offer him that he needs. He is completely self-sufficient. You know, one of the things that these last weeks of quarantine has shown the human race is that we are very needful. We are needful beings. We need something to do. We need people to talk to. We need provisions to stay alive. We need information to understand. All of these things have been revealed. We are very needy people. I mean, there, there are some folks who couldn't go a day or two without being absolutely miserable because all of these things are things that are happening outside of us to us. As human beings, we are not self-sufficient creatures. We cannot sustain our identity or, or any sense of our being without something outside of us speaking truth to us. We need other people. We need purpose, things to do. We need provisions that we take in that sustain our health. We need even information. God has given us minds that desire this. God is unlike us. He needs nothing. I mean, he needs nothing. And yet, he wants us. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. 
He wants us to know him and love him and walk in him and be blessed in him. Not because he needs us to do it, but because he wants us to. And what he desires is to provide for us our ultimate need to be known by God, to be defined by God, to be sustained by God, to understand reality according to God, the maker. Second thing I would encourage you to understand is that because God is one in essence and three in person, God is fully loved and loved in his being. The father loves the son. The son loves the father. The father and son love the spirit and the spirit loves the father and son. 1 John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And God's love is pure. It's permanent. It's powerful. From before time began, before there was even space, God is. He was. He will always be. And in his being is love because the Father is loving the Son. The Son is loving the Father. The Spirit is loving the Father and Son. And they too are loving the Spirit. This love exists. It is because God is. And we're able to love because he first loved us. God in his being is love. And because God in his, in his one essence, three in person, he is pure, permanent, and all-powerful in his being. He's pure. God, God has no faults. God never does wrong. <laughs> Everything he does is good. It's right. God is pure. And he's permanent. God does not change. Because everything about God is perfect. There's nothing to improve. And there's no way of him getting worse. He is permanent. He is the almighty who is and was and, and will always be. There's no God. There is no one like God. And he's all powerful. He has no limits. He made all things. And by his might he sustains all things. This is our God. This is the God of the Bible. And because God is one in essence and three in person, God is generous and benevolent in his being. Each person of the Trinity serves the others in love. And each person of the Trinity works through the gospel in love toward us. Our salvation is based on the Father's power and love. Our salvation is based on the Son's death and resurrection. And the Spirit's regeneration and seal is what gives us not only salvation, but assurance for all of eternity. Each gives what is needed to redeem God's people. God is and has always been and will be generous and, and benevolent. And if we will repent and believe, we can experience his life. We understand by the three circles that God's design was perfect. But we blew it with our sin. And the reason why there's brokenness in the world, the reason why we hurt, and the reason why there's pain is because of our sin. But God did, not, God did not want to leave us in that condition even though we chose it. Instead, the gospel tells us that God came to us. And if we will repent of self-sufficiency and believe on Christ, that is trust in him, we can now pursue and recover God's design. We can pursue who God is, this one who is one in essence and three in person, and recover God's design for our life. If you've never done that, friends, I would encourage you to do that.
And if you do that, to, to text us uh, and, and let us know. Uh, the, the number is there. Just type in um, Welcome to Hope, 84576, and we will contact you. We'll be in touch with you, and we can talk about this new life, this new journey that you are beginning. Understand and take note and, and realize this. Second thing that our scripture reveals to us. The Holy Spirit helps us share what God does. The Holy Spirit helps us share what God does. John 15, 27 says this. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit bears witness to Jesus and so do all disciples of Jesus. And when we bear witness to him, we speak to what God does through what God has done. Let's say that slowly. When we bear witness... We speak to what God does through what Jesus has done. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 18, we read about the gospel. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, and being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So what did Jesus do? What has Jesus done? He has lived a holy life. He has died to pay for sin. He has been raised from the dead and is now reigning at the right hand of God, waiting to return to bring judgment and a new heaven and a new earth. This is what Jesus has done. Now, what is God doing? God is changing lives through what Jesus has done. And the Holy Spirit has come to celebrate what Jesus has done. And the Holy Spirit is now calling us, compelling us, convicting us, pressing us to partner with him to spread the good news of what Jesus has done. Friends, there, there are so many good things that we can do with our life. And there are many good things that we should do because of the gospel, like social justice, like caring for the poor, like providing a moral influence to our culture and society. And all of these are good. And all of these are important, but they are not our primary responsibility. No, our primary responsibility is to join the Spirit of God in sharing the news of what Jesus has done. And friends, if, if we lose sight of the primary, we will lose the motivation and the reason for doing everything else. See, our hope, our hope is eternal life in Christ through grace. And that hope motivates every decision we make. Without the hope of heaven and the presence of God in his love in our life, our motivation becomes temporal. It, it only works in time. And sooner or later, without the gospel, we will abandon Christ. We will substitute Christ and we'll make another God that we serve, if it be ourselves or an institution or some other created thing. And those idols, those idols do not give living hope. They give dying hope because all those things will cease to exist at some point. What God provides for us in Christ is good news. It is the gospel and, and it must be protected. The gospel must be protected, not only in a life, but even in an organization. Right now, we're in the process of releasing our counseling center and pregnancy center 
to be separate 501c3 uh, organizations. And the reason we're doing this is not because we're going to uh, stop being a part of what's happening there. They're gonna be on our campus and we're gonna be a crucial part of what is happening there. But what we have found is there are a lot of people who don't want to give financially to Living Hope. They're already members of other churches. They don't wanna give financially Living Hope, but they do wanna give to the centers. And we've made it difficult for individuals and organizations to give to the centers. And so what we're in the process process of doing is, is setting up a, a separate 501c3, but I do want you to know that I'm going to be on that board, and in the years ahead, there will always be two elders of the five board members that will be on that board, and an 80% vote is required to pass anything, which means there will always be two elders who have the deciding voice and, and uh, influence on that board, and we're doing that by design. We want the centers to be free to be able to pursue funding and partnerships with other churches and other God-centered, Christ-honoring organizations. We don't want to be the bottleneck here at Living Hope. At the same time, we want to ensure that the gospel stays central to that work. And, and that's very important. I'm not worried about next year. I'm not worried about the next few years. I worry about the decades ahead. I worry... And, and, and not in an anxious way, but in an informed way, because there have been other great institutions that have lost their way because they lost the gospel. Let me, let me share with you two examples. One is Harvard University, and the other one is the YMCA. This is Morgan Lee, her article uh, in the Christian Post Reporter. Uh, the, here's what she said. When Harvard University was founded in 1636, its mission was that its students be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. That is not the Harvard University of today. Going on, she wrote, the YMCA has, I'm sorry, the YMCA began as a refuge of Bible study and prayer for young men seeking escape from the hazards of life on the streets. Neither organization still intimately affiliates with its once overt religious identity. Indeed, they are two out of dozens of colleges and nonprofits that once manifested Christian ideals and now possesses a reputation, values, and processes which are staunchly secular. Friends, it is easy to lose sight of the gospel. It is easy to make your life about being a good person. You know what's hard? Is being an outspoken person for the claims of Jesus Christ. It's easy to do nice things to other people. It's nice and, and feels good to feed the hungry and to give provision to the poor. All of that is good. It, social justice is, is so needed in society today. But friends, without the gospel, those things are meaningless. And it's so, so easy to lose sight of the gospel. Friends, the gospel is a noun. The gospel is a fact. And three big things, Here's, uh, that's our training for how to have a conversation about uh, the, the work of Jesus Christ. We, we define the gospel this way. 
It's the good news that Jesus is God and acted to rescue sinners from eternal death by becoming a man, living a holy life, dying on a cross to pay the penalty of sin and being resurrected from death. Jesus will give eternal life to those who repent and believe in him. Friends, the gospel tells us what God does through what Jesus has done. The Holy Spirit helps us to share what God is doing through what Jesus has done. Friends, let me ask you, are are you sharing what Jesus has done? Are you partnering with what God is doing? Friends, we grieve the Holy Spirit when our hearts become cold and indifferent to the eternal need of the souls of humanity. One of the things that I I certainly believe most people have had to deal with in this pandemic is death. You know, we, we don't like to talk about death as human beings. As a matter of fact, there are some who would even say it's rude to talk about death publicly. Friends, everyone you know is going to die. Every one of us is going to die. Every one of us is going to have to live in a broken world and die and give an account for our life to God. And the wages of sin is eternal death. Because our sin is against an eternal God. And I know there's some people who get so upset. How can you dare talk about hell? How can God hold us responsible for actions done in a very brief light for all of eternity? Friends, you got to understand. Our God is holy and eternal. And any and every sin is a sin against him. And he requires justice. When Jesus died on the cross, he met the just demands of God. So that when he died and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He who knew no sin became sin so that we could be forgiven, so that we could become the righteousness of God. This is the most important news in the world. When was the last time you told someone who does not know Jesus this news? Well... When was the last time you cried over someone who does not know this news? Friends, can I tell you lovingly and honestly that if we are not weeping for the lost, if we are not sharing the gospel with our, with our homes and neighbors and every generation, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We are We are not walking rightly in his ways. And we need to repent. And we need to acknowledge that our heart is hard and we're selfish and we're being apathetic and we're only concerned about ourselves and those we care about. We're not concerned about our neighbors. We're not concerned about the eternal needs of other human beings. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come to bear witness about him. That Holy Spirit lives in all of us who believe. 
And that Holy Spirit is compelling us and calling us to join him in that work. We are to impact our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. Are we doing that? Some of you can't do that because you don't have a personal relationship with God by grace through faith in Christ alone. If you right now would like to have all your sin forgiven, if you right now would like to be filled with the Holy Spirit and begin a new life in him, if you, you sense a desire for that and you sense a conviction, that's what the Holy Spirit brings, conviction. I wanna ask you to pray this prayer with me right now. Let's all bow our heads together. If right now, right there where you are, you would like to have your sin forgiven, pray this right now. Father God, I know I have sinned and I'm so sorry. I repent of that. I turn away from that life. Jesus, I believe you died for my sin. Take over my life. I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna pursue and recover your design for my life. Friends, if you prayed that prayer right there where you are, you are saved. And if you have prayed that prayer, Do you feel the conviction of not being a witness for Jesus? Right now, let's pray together. I'm gonna to pray for you and you pray in your heart as you feel need. Lord, if we're honest, nine out of 10, the data says, of us don't share our hope in Jesus. We've become indifferent to the needs of the world. Would you convict us to join you, Holy Spirit, to spread the renown of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to the glory of the Father who sent him. You, this one God in essence, three in persons. And Lord, forgive us for our self-centeredness. And forgive us for not serving your kingdom, for not putting it first in every way with our time, our talents, our treasure, all that we are. Renew us, revive us for this work. And Lord, we ask that you would bring conviction to our homes, our neighbors in every generation. We pray that the, the gospel seed that we will spread will, will fall upon fertile soil of soft hearts that you have brought work and wrought upon them a desire to know you. And now, Lord, as we finish our time today, Lord, I pray for some who are experiencing great loss within our church family. Just yesterday, a loved one passed from COVID-19. Others found that they were sick with it. One family, one of our key leaders moved away and there's been loss. But even in the midst of that, a baby was born last night. A member of our family of faith has seen that blessing. And a couple was married. Lord, in loss and in new beginnings, you are sovereign and you are good and you care for us and you lead us and you do this for your glory and our blessing. And we thank you for that. And we ask now that you would bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And until we meet again, may you be blessed. We are dismissed.